0: Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with board-certified rheumatologist Dr. Robert Goodman of the Arthritis and Rheumatology Clinic here in Shreveport. And today we're talking about giant cell arteritis. And before we get started, a few tips for calling in with your questions. Just make sure you're in a quiet room with your TV turned all the way down so we can hear you and you can hear Dr. Goodman. And call us at 318-219-4569. It'll be at the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Dr. Goodman, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here.
0: (laughs) So we are talking about giant cell arteritis.
1: That's right, Terry. Um, uh, Last month, we were talking about its companion disease, or it may be a different manifestation of the same disease called polymyalgia rheumatica. And one of our callers uh, called us and prompted us to expand the discussion a little bit to its companion disease, giant cell arteritis, also uh, previously known as temporal. Arteritis.
0: Oh, okay. And we, we were talking too that it's about vasculitis is a word that we talk about and that's a condition too. Can you give us an overall view of really what vasculitis means?
1: Well vasculitis means inflammation of a vessel, okay. inflammation of a blood vessel. And when that blood vessel is on the arterial side, when it is an artery, it might be called arteritis. Um, um, and there are a family of diseases that cause vasculitis or arteritis. Um, and uh, giant cell arteritis is one of the more common members of that family of diseases.
0: And you've talked about headaches in the past too and since you just said temporal, is that because it affects a certain part of the brain? Well,
1: um, the uh, manifestations of temporal or giant cell arteritis oftentimes it causes inflammation of the arteries to the head and neck and sometimes a person will uh, feel pain when they touch the arteries of the head and neck, the temporal artery is one of them that's the most accessible. Sometimes they're putting on their glasses and as their glasses uh, go past uh, that area it will hurt and feel unusual. And this is usually a person who is in their 70s and usually a female, Um, although men can get it too, and they've otherwise been very healthy, very active, Uh, they're everyone's favorite grandmother, they're everyone's favorite. Uh, member of uh, a church or a synagogue that is always active and uh, there to help others, and they get an unusual usual headache, or maybe they're chewing uh, or talking, and their jaw feels pain in it uh, that doctors would call jaw claudication, and that the mechanism of action of that is that the arteries to the muscles of the jaw are being constricted by the inflammation that makes the circumference of the artery shrink down as the inflammation squeezes and closes off the artery. So if the downstream from the artery that is closing off, that is being affected by this inflammation is the muscles of the jaw and somebody is chewing, they might get pain in the muscles of the jaw that would be called jaw claudication. If it is affecting the um, uh, the, uh, arteries that go to the eye, they might get transient blindness or they might get a painless blindness that is obviously very frightening, very devastating um, and uh, just occurring out of nowhere.
0: Yes, and you've mentioned this can lead to blindness or even stroke in people. That's right. So
1: if it is affecting the uh, artery to the eye um, and it's affecting the artery to the left eye or the right eye a person might uh, not and if they did ignore the other symptoms they might go to sleep um, uh, one night and wake up the next morning and uh, they can't you know they their visual field has no vision to their left side and uh, all of a sudden it's just a a devastating uh, devastating problem but fortunately if we can get the message out to the public uh, we can do something about it.
0: Okay, because yeah, that would be a pretty abrupt uh, symptom to wake up with that, otherwise, oh. so it would be uh, very quick to the person it's happening to, but do these, how long does it take for this to it doesn't, the onset isn't that quick, like, does the, it kind uh, of creep
1: the, up? Uh, many times, fortunately um, 90% of the time there are some other clues that might be a person has a little bit of a different headache when they're putting on their glasses or maybe they uh, are uh, g- combing their hair and they uh, feel like, gee, that hurts. Um, and, or they might have, like I mentioned, jaw claudication, or if they talk a lot, maybe they're a reporter, they have tongue, <laughs> tongue claudication because the artery to uh, the tongue is uh, being constricted and uh, the person's tongue starts hurting. Sometimes they will have many times. Fortunately, they may have the companion disease we talked about last month, Mm -hmm. and that companion disease is polymyalgia rheumatica, or it may really be just two sides, two manifestations of the same condition. And in polymyalgia rheumatica, they might have a lot of pain in the shoulders, they might have a lot of pain in the hips, they might uh, feel like they had a case of the flu that they just never got over with, and they feel very stiff first thing in the morning. So stiffness in the morning, they may have uh, pain in the small joints of the hands, and then these uh, unusual headaches, Um, and uh, being in the right demographic. uh, Usually you're over 50, but uh, 73 is a a middle age, uh, an an average age for uh, this uh, group of diseases to occur.
0: And how common is this?
1: Well, um, uh, I saw some statistics that it is Common enough that I see it fairly regularly an ophthalmologist and rheumatologist will will see it from time to time the um, uh, The thought is that it occurs about one person in 500 over the age of 50 Um, And that's common enough for my patients that suffer from it to say dr. Goodman get the word out so that those cases when they go into the emergency room doctor when they go into See their ophthalmologist when they're seeing their family doctor that might bring this up, and the family doctor can say, hmm, that might be a possibility. The family doctor, the pro- uh, primary care doctor, the um, internist or ophthalmologist might do certain um, lab tests, and they would find uh, nonspecific lab tests that doctors call markers of inflammation will be three, four, five times the upper limits of normal. So it's It's a pretty dramatic change in the lab. And then uh, if they start suspecting temporal or giant cell arteritis, they might uh, have to, need to put patients on steroids quickly um, to try to um, block the process and uh, try to get a temporal artery biopsy because that's one of the arteries that you can get access to, that a surgeon can get a, a half or a one inch piece of that little artery, uh, send it to the pathologist, already have the patient on the steroid medicines and the pathologist looks under the microscope and he sees these unusual cells where a lot of cells that we call basophils have come together and um, uh, coalesced and formed a multi-nucleated giant cell that, it, that gives the name giant cell arteritis. And so the pathologist calls back to the surgeon or whomever is treating the patient and, um, and says, oh, I am confirming giant cell arteritis, but the ophthalmologist, the rheumatologist, the primary care doctor, the hospitalist has already put them on steroids and said, glad you called back three days later. We put them on steroids three days ago. They're getting better.
0: And is, this, is that the only way it's diagnosed? How how is it really um, specifically?
1: It it can be diagnosed that way. It can also be diagnosed by imaging the arteries um, with uh, uh, ultrasounds. Um, Our European colleagues are more advanced than us in using ultrasounds to diagnose uh, giant cell or temporal arteritis. It can also be uh, suspected or diagnosed if you have a high Mm -hmm. index of suspicion by doing um, uh, MRI scans of the Uh, aorta and the um, arteries that go to the head and neck um, by putting dye in the arteries that go to the head and neck um, and uh, now uh, using PET scans but traditionally the most classic way to do it to diagnose it is with a giant biopsy of usually the temporal artery because it's an artery that we can get to.
0: And are there any preconceived conditions that a doctor might be alerted to right away when they see hear these symptoms because having the, you know, they might not be able to describe having that strange headache that's not normal or, you know, did they let it go too long sometimes? You feel like you put your glasses on, it's a little tender, but you don't think there's anything to worry about?
1: Yeah, and, and that's why we want to have these kinds of conversations yeah. uh, on Healthline 3 to get that word out so that that one person in 500, uh, if uh, they uh, recognize that, if they call it to the attention of their primary care doctor, it can be life changing. Yeah. Uh, a, a really, a dramatic life changing event. Uh, but uh, but the, the companion disease, polymyalgia rheumatica, might occur uh, in only about 10 or 15% of people with PMR will go on and get giant cell arteritis. So a lot of times they're, having, they're being treated for PMR and the good thing about it is the treatment for polymyalgia rheumatica, the companion disease with shoulder and hip pain, can also help control or lessen the chance of having catastrophic um, complications like strokes or blindness of the giant cell arteritis.
0: Oh wow, that's a another way to head it off then. That's right, <laughs> exactly. So you talked about age range maybe, but is there a typical, who typically will we'll fall into this category of giant cell arteries.
1: Well, um, uh, I, was, uh, I went virtually to uh, a meeting uh, last month um, that is called a, a Clinical Conference of Rheumatology, uh, and I did it virtually because they were meeting in San Diego and I needed to stay here and see patients. But um, um, uh, some new details on who tends to get it. Mm-hmm. And it tends to get be um, female, white, Um, mid-seventies, and they have a normal body weight, they are not heavy. So they have been a healthy uh, lady that has kept their weight in control, and they have a normal BMI, Um, they've never had diabetes, they've never had hypertension, Um, again, uh, that favorite grandmother that's energetic, and for some reason, good health, and having a normal BMI. Uh, tends to play a role. It also tends to play a role uh, to uh, be of a northern European background um, uh, from uh, Scandinavian countries. Uh, Scotland and Ireland tend to um, have that genetic background more. Uh, The Mayo Clinic uh, which is in Minnesota which uh, has a lot of uh, folks from uh, Scandinavian countries and they name their football team, the Minnesota Vikings, yeah. so the Vikings, uh, uh, so if you have a Viking ancestry, uh, if you're female, if you're in your 70s, that would be the quintessential patient that could get um, get giant cell arteritis.
0: Well that's interesting, then, does that kind of validate genealogy and and something being hereditary? If you find someone who's really keeping their BMI down, they're healthy, they're active, this, this woman then gets this. What? What yes. causes it if you're well, healthy so we, and everything's good? Yeah,
1: we, we simply don't know. Is there um, uh, some other trigger, some environmental trigger, but this person has done everything uh, right um, in their lives and they still come down with this disease. Um, some other uh, rheumatic diseases, whether it's smoking, whether it's being um, uh, overweight, may uh, increase your role of having, say, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, uh, but. But it may be a correlation that is not a causation kind of thing mm. um, in some of these diseases, and we just really don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting term, too. It's a correlation, but not a causation. So that's right. Two different things. It, it
1: may be, or yeah. it may be that um, people, well, uh, let me go back to people that tend to be heavier tend to get psoriatic arthritis, mm-hmm. and that's a soft trend. It's not everyone. Right. But, uh, in general, the BMI of people that have psoriatic arthritis is a little higher than average. The BMI that gets uh, has rheumatoid arthritis is about average, and the BMI of patients that get giant cell arthritis is below hmm. average. Uh, a new observation in the Mayo Clinic, which is in Rochester, Minnesota, which has a lot of patients that are, are from w- Minnesota and Wisconsin, uh, and see a lot of giant cell arthritis, uh, have been on the premiere of, um, of educating the rest of us around the country uh, <laughs> about this disease.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned treatments, um, that steroids, we've talked about that a lot. Are there new treatments that they're Well, that's finding? right.
1: Um, so um, steroids uh, had been used uh, since the 1950s to treat giant cell arteritis, but, as, uh, but steroids have a lot of side effects. So doctors want to use steroids early, they wanna use steroids quickly, but then they wanna to transition to something else. They wanna have a steroid sparing option. Um, and uh, fortunately, with, with uh, giant cell arteritis, medicines that were used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, a medicine um, used to treat rheumatoid arthritis was approved for giant cell arteritis about uh, five years ago. And it was out an outgrowth of doctors were using those temporal artery biopsies and they were staining them To find what kind of chemicals, what kind of inflammatory markers are in these biopsies. And um, the nomenclature of these inflammatory markers are called interleukins or between leukocytes, or they abbreviated IL. And so it was noted that interleukin 6 was staining consistently in these giant cell biopsies. And so somebody said, huh. We have a medicine that was approved for interleukin 6 called tocolizumab, that's one to say, um, and it's also known as Actemra. And so it was approved for rheumatoid arthritis about um, 10 or 12 years ago, and then about five years ago it got approved uh, for giant cell arteritis. And it's been very helpful uh, in the Mayo Clinic, again, has been very helpful in um, doing clinical trials, getting it approved, and so it's another tool in our toolbox to treat this disease.
0: And what is the prognosis for someone who's diagnosed with giant cell? Arthritis?
1: Well, the prognosis is much improved. Okay. If the chance of um, uh, having blindness or stroke if it was left untreated uh, might be uh, 5% or 10%. But the chance of uh, having blindness or stroke with treatment drops to one chance in two or 300. So we're significantly helping that. But then as we look to longer periods of time, as we look to uh, six months, a year, 18 months, um, we're trying to ask the question, do we need to have everybody switch from steroids to Actemra or tocilizumab, or something to block that key chemical called interleukin-6? And uh, the jury is still out, but um, the, the lecture that I went to two weeks ago uh, suggested that at least as you're looking in two or three years, uh, Tocilizumab, actimera is a very helpful uh, medication. There are other medications that are used to treat rheumatoid arthritis that are starting to be studied, and a medicine that's used to treat psoriatic arthritis that has started to be studied as well.
0: Okay. What is the term corticosteroids?
1: Is it corticosteroids? Oh, co- corticosteroids. Um, steroids, the term steroids, is a family of medicines, okay. um, a family of hormones, really. Um, there are uh, the an- anabolic or androgen steroids uh, from a man's testes. There are the uh, uh, estrogen steroids from a woman's a- ovaries. And then in the adrenal gland, there is an outer part called the cortex. And the cortex of the adrenal gland secretes a different type of steroid that is an inflammatory or anti inflammatory okay. steroid. That was isolated in the 1950s, um, and that Family of steroids are used for inflammation.
0: Okay. And what, what, do you, what suggestions do you have for patients who are on this type of steroids?
1: Well, um, uh, if you're on these uh, steroids, uh, you would uh, work uh, very uh, diligently with your uh, doctor, whether it's, uh, and, and they may be on steroids for a rheumatologic problem, they may be on steroids for asthma, uh, for a variety of other diseases, for inflammatory bowel disease, uh, from their gastroenterologist. Uh, asthma from their allergist but they would be trying to transition from steroids to some alternative. Um, In the past twenty years almost all of those disciplines have gotten new medications, these new biologics that can be a steroid sparing medicine that can be more uh, uh, targeting uh, the disease process in a precise way where steroids is like carpet bombing the whole immune system and causing more side effects. And so if you are uh, treating, um, so you need steroids to help quickly control the inflammation in giant cell arteritis because it's a medical emergency. You don't know whether they might lose their vision in five minutes or in in five days or in five months or never. Uh, So you treat them with steroids and then you would transition to a steroid sparing medicine Um, And in the past, it has been some of the other medications, the oral medicines that we've used for rheumatoid arthritis, such as methotrexate, but now we're getting these biologics that help it.
0: You know, you hear a lot of people too, they get to a certain age or arthritis sets in, or they may even joke and say, oh, it's my arthritis when they're stiff. And it just seems to kind of like a lot, some people may have that, just frame of mind. The older I get, I'm probably going to get arthritis. But when you're diagnosed with some type of arthritis or some type of condition like we're talking about, can you? Is there things you can? Are there things you can do in your life to better your quality of life that will help with these conditions?
1: Um, yes, there are. Usually, if you, for most people, if they have a normal uh, ideal body weight, that's yeah. uh, that's a first step, um, and. Um, in all of these disciplines, whether it's, and not so much in giant cell arteritis because it's a less common disease, but when we're, we're talking about more common autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, like psoriatic arthritis, like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, um, we talk about the uh, microbiome in our body, the community of bacteria in our body that, that's in our mouth, that is in our nose, nasal passageways, and in our intestinal tract. and so. If we uh, eat a low inflammatory diet um, uh, and uh, sometimes a Mediterranean diet, that can make our gut bacteria, that doctors call our gut flora, look less inflammatory. And that can be an add on therapy that can help treat rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis. Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and on uh, our uh, uh, the most common, the most prestigious journal in rheumatology is called the Arthritis and Rheumatism, or ANR, and on the, on the cover of Arthritis and Rheumatism uh, about two years ago, they showed the microbiome of a person with lupus that was active and the microbiome of a person with lupus that was less active. And the community of bacteria, the microbiome, was less, by adjusting it in a variety of ways, uh, uh, cleaner eating, uh, a Mediterranean diet, some people it's a gluten-free diet, uh, can make the community of bacteria in your gut look better. And it can, it doesn't replace medicines, but it can be added to the medications to really help uh, make some of these diseases, many of these diseases better
0: and it's interesting you bring up the mediterranean diet cause we talk about all kinds of diets so we're never here to like promote one diet or another it's just a way of eating but mediterranean way of eating comes up a lot when you talk about being healthy and active what is it about the mediterranean diet that and it comes from that part of the world they eat this way and, and they're and all it, healthy is and it and, uh, uh, is oils it?
1: that are from vegetables uh you know from olive oil Olives, as opposed yeah. to uh oils and fats that are uh from uh, animals uh that can play a role but uh uh it's it the answer is we don't know because yeah. when we're on a diet you know when when doctors when um, uh, researchers present research uh, to the National Institutes of Health or uh, to the Food and Drug Administration they will be studying a single molecule they'll try to say let's put you on tocalizumab and um, and see if that helps control giant cell arteritis so they'll put half of the people on tocolizumab, half the people on a, um, 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 a placebo and watch them for a period of time. But when you're, um, when you're putting somebody on a diet, there is a multitude of uh, chemical factors that We'll, um, hundreds or thousands of chemical factors that we, some of which we can measure and we know about in 2022, and some of which we'll learn about in 2026 or 2035, that are important that we didn't know today, and and so it's it's really harder to to really pin it down or get as um, as uh, doctors would say, that granularity to know, to, know, to answer your questions. Yeah,
0: and, and that's exactly you know what you and I have talked about, too. It is a general question. Um, but it's really interesting, I think, that we've learned the difference in fats and healthy fats. And it really does seem like oils and healthy fats and avocados really do come up consistently, no matter what field of medicine we're talking about. Of and, course, no smoking, drink a lot of water, be active. But there's something about those olive oils, those general oils, and good fats that our body really needs.
1: That, that's right, and and I'm not saying that we you know know if um, if uh, you know chicken and pork uh, and sure. beef uh, um, have um, gotten um, uh, additives um, as the uh, as the cattle and the beef and the pork and chickens are, are growing. Uh, we just don't know, we don't know the answers because because that's like trying to measure lots of needles in a big haystack.
0: Mm-hmm. So do you think it's really just a good general frame of mind as you and I talk more about this too and as it grows and no matter what condition we're talking about, yeah. what things are changing. And, we, ha- we have no idea, but just be mindful and follow you know, what research you can, keep it simple, know your own body, how you feel when you're eating and moving around. And,
1: and, pay and that's right and, um, and, and smoking, we keep coming back to that mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's uh, one of those other uh, factors that we can identify, whether it's um, other factors like household cleaners and things like that, is really much harder to to measure.
0: Yeah, and how do you find that the environment really does affect things like arthritis and and these different conditions? Do you find that the environment does, or do we still really not we're, even know exactly?
1: We we, we don't know uh, exactly uh, why that happens, yeah. um, and we're starting to get glimpses. Um, uh, There was, uh, and uh, you and I have talked about on previous uh, uh, discussions, we've talked about that smoking doesn't directly make everybody have rheumatoid arthritis, but we think, doctors think that, we've talked about the microbiome in the intestinal tract, we've talked about the microbiome in the nasal passageways and sinuses, and the microbiome in our mouth. And the thinking is that smoking may make the microbiome, the group community of bacteria uh, in our gums, in our mouth, in our gingival areas, um, look more threatening and make your rheumatoid arthritis more uh, active. Um, because giant cell arteritis, because polymyalgia rheumatica are far less common diseases, we don't have that kind of uh, trial because it's not stu- giant cell arteritis PMR are not studied as much as the more common diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, and and psoriasis itself. Uh, So those diseases tend to get the most ink, they tend to get the most attention, and of course to big pharma they are going to be the biggest market. So so it makes sense for a pharmaceutical company to come out with an interleukin-6 blocker Actimra, Tocilizumab uh, for rheumatoid arthritis, a big market, and then um, as they uh, get that approval, then study it for uh, this less common disease, giant cell arteritis. Um, A a similar uh, situation happened where um, a medicine called Rituxan was approved in the 1990s for um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then Rituxan was approved in about 2009 for rheumatoid arthritis, and then it was approved for another form of arteritis, another form of vasculitis that used to be named after a German doctor called Dr. Wegner, and it was called Wegner's granulomatosis, but it, uh, its name changed to ANCA-associated vasculitis and so Rituxan that had been approved for some more common diseases like rheumatoid arthritis got used for this less common disease, ANCA vasculitis. That could have been the disease that um, uh, Harold Ramis uh, passed away from um, and uh, some other celebrities have, have had those diseases. And I applaud those celebrities for coming out and bringing attention to these Conditions so that the the community can focus a little more attention on them.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting we talk about Harold Ramis dying from this, but then Aston Kutcher coming out saying he had vasculitis uh, to yeah. talk about. He's living with it. Him, he got treated, or he found yeah. it sooner. A good and, example and his, of finding
1: it. His publicist. Um, I haven't read any. You know, and I'm I'm not disclosing any <laughs> any uh, medical. Uh, uh, privileged information yeah, because it's his details. published is, mm-hmm. uh, has uh, talked about the details but I'm not aware of that I've read the specific details from their uh, press releases to know exactly which type of vasculitis they had but uh, Harold Ramos's publicist, publicist seemed to suggest that it was the uh, called Wagner's granulomatosis mm-hmm. but is now called ANCA vasculitis but mm-hmm. um, the key is these this family of diseases, they are less common, they are rare, uh, that cause inflammation of the arteries, um, and they are called arteritis or vasculitis. They need to be in the public eye a bit. Uh, not everyone out there uh, that has a headache mm-hmm. needs to be thinking that they have a giant cell arteritis, but for those people that might be at risk, that might call it to the attention of a primary care doctor, it can be life-changing.
0: Very much so. And like you said, it's good that we're talking about this and getting it out there because I think we've had this topic before, but it just wasn't enough time to really bring it to the attention. And we've had people contact us saying thank you for bringing that uh, to our attention. So we're able to talk about it again. And it's interesting that at least we can talk about exactly where it might hit a peculiar headache. Something's tender. So these are really important factors to get out there. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much. Any one last thing? We'll just Oh, you want to give your phone number out really quick before and, we
1: go? Uh, my phone number in Treeport is 318-424-9240, and I deal with these types of diseases all the time.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Dr. Goodman. We really appreciate this, and um, we'll see you before the holidays are over.
1: Okay. All right, Glad to love. be here.
0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us for Healthline 3 today. Have a good afternoon, and we'll see you next time.